Talking about the end of the world can, well, be a little depressing. For example, Peter writes in his second letter, The day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. And then a few verses later, that he talks about when the day of God comes, the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. Wow, what destruction. Judgment Day, as we sometimes call it, will also carry with it the thought of Jesus coming back to this earth and giving the final determination, the final pronouncement of where everyone is going to spend eternity, whether that be in heaven or in hell. As Jesus talks about, when he's talking about the separation on that day between the sheep and the goats, he'll say to the goats, Depart from me, you accursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. That does not sound very pleasant either. So when we're looking at this passage before us from Matthew chapter 24, and we hear about wars and rumors of wars and famines and earthquakes, it's, we have to ask, well, well, where's the hope? Is there any hope? Does the thought of the end of the world as we know it, does it bring any good things to mind? Any reason to look forward to it instead of possibly dreading it? Well, let's listen again to a part of that Gospel reading from Matthew 24. We'll listen again to verses 3 through 8. Please rise as we hear these words. As Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of, of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Thus far the text. Let us pray. Dear Lord, these are your words. Help us to understand them, give us knowledge through them, and create in us a strengthened faith through them. Amen. You may be seated. So here's the context of, of these words that Jesus is speaking from Matthew 24. It's Tuesday of Holy Week, and so it's just a couple of days away from Jesus' betrayal, his arrest, and then the next day, his crucifixion. And Jesus has, has told his disciples before, they know that these things are going to be coming, and, and now he's getting even more direct about what's going to be taking place, and then looking forward to what will take place later. In the previous chapter, he had been speaking some woes to the Pharisees and the scribes for their lack of faith in him. And then he also prophesies about the destruction of the city of Jerusalem. It's not an upbeat time. And the words of this passage that we're looking at today don't really sound even upbeat either until 
Jesus gets to the end. And that's when he holds out hope. That's what we're going to focus on today. The one who endures to the end will be saved. But the one who endures is going to have to put up with a lot of things going on, first of off, first off in this world. Now, for the followers of Jesus at that time, that was going to include the destruction of Jerusalem in A.D. 70. This is what Jesus had prophesied at the beginning of this passage. It says, Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. But he answered them, You see all these, you do, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Not quite 40 years later, the, the Jews would finally overthrow the Romans, at least kicking them out of the city of Jerusalem. They had, they had started a revolt and it was successful. But it wasn't too much longer after that that the Romans kind of came back in force. They laid siege to the city of Jerusalem trying to starve the people out. And it had that effect because eventually the Roman army was able to come in and, and get into Jerusalem and pretty much wipe everybody out because they were so weakened from starvation. And they destroyed the city, especially tearing down the temple, leaving one wall standing. It's no wonder that after hearing this prophecy of Jesus that the disciples wanted to know when these things will be. But more importantly, what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And, and so Jesus goes on to paint for them this, this very bleak picture. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, he says. Now only bloodthirsty and violent people are ones who, who actually like war. Wars mean death. An injury, it would be impossible for us to calculate that throughout mankind's history, how many people have died as a result of war, whether it's the soldiers or, or innocent victims. Wars and rumors of wars are, are symptoms of, of how rotten this earth actually is. How rotten we are. People who have been deeply infected with sin. And it comes to the point where masses of people intentionally try to go against other masses of people simply to annihilate them. Now don't get me wrong, there, there are times where you could make an argument for, for just wars, but that doesn't take away from its ugliness and it doesn't take away from, from our depravity. And then Jesus includes that there will be famines and earthquakes to endure. Yes, even this physical world that we live in is affected by sin. There are numerous places in the Old Testament that, that talk about earthquakes being a sign of God's judgment. And there are numerous places that speak of famines as, as being a sign of the end. Now we can't say that that every time that there's an earthquake or that there's a famine, that this is God specifically judging those people that are affected. I mean, there are exceptions. We think about in Numbers 16, when the earth opened up and swallowed up the people that were involved in, in Korah's rebellion. 
But usually when natural disasters occur, and really that's kind of a misnomer, there's nothing natural about them. Those things are a reminder that the end is near. It's interesting. Well, it's, it's actually encouraging what Jesus says in the midst of talking about all of these terrible things going on, how we have to endure all of these bad things going on in the world. He says, see that you are not alarmed, for this must take place. A word of, a word of hope in the, in the midst of all of these words of warning. But Jesus isn't done warning yet. He also says that the one who endures to the end is going to have to to endure problems even in the church. He says they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Do you remember the fear that, that the disciples exhibited on that evening of Jesus' resurrection? How they were in that upper room locked away for fear of the Jews. And it wasn't too long after that that Stephen, after he gives a very bold witness, a bold testimony to his faith, is martyred. And then there was James. And then eventually Paul and Peter, all of the apostles except for John. And then you think about all of the persecutions that, that all of the Roman emperors carried out on the Christians in the early history of the church. Such hatred for God's people. And it continues today. We have people all over the world, Christians in this world, that are suffering for their faith, just for the fact that they're a Christian. And then Jesus continued, and then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. This falling away that Jesus talks about is, is actually someone getting caught in some sort of a deadly spiritual trap and then abandoning their faith. Maybe it's a gradual thing. Maybe it's, maybe it's when they stop coming to church or stop reading their Bible and, and their faith dies for, for lack of of nutrition maybe it's when someone buys into to some false teaching more than that more on that in just a minute and that leads to more false teaching which which eventually leads to someone just abandoning the faith altogether yes Jesus also says many false prophets will arise and lead many astray more problems within the church to endure and yes, it is pretty easy to, to point to all of the false teachers and, and teachings out there and, and say, Lord, I thank you that I am in this church that we have because we have the right doctrine. Now, I agree with that thought that we have the right doctrine. Otherwise, I wouldn't be standing here today. But should we be proud of our correct doctrine? That we're right and all of those other people out there with whom we're not in fellowship that they're all wrong maybe now i say maybe if we're keeping in mind that that the only reason we have the correct doctrine the only reason that we have the bible is that god gives it to us it's all by his grace we're no more deserving of of believing what the bible says than anyone else out there but by God's grace, he keeps us on that, that narrow road that ultimately leads us to salvation in heaven. 
Now there's one more piece of bad news before we get to the good news that Jesus talks about. He says, because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. When you take the solid foundation of of Scripture away, when you say that that it's okay to, to pick and choose what it is that you want to believe from the Bible, especially when it comes to what's sinful and what's not, well, then it's, it's pretty much easy to, to allow anything to go. But do we show true love to someone by telling them that it's okay to live however they want? Are we showing true love to someone when we tell them we're not going to judge them for their lifestyle choices, that, that they have to decide that they're going to be whomever they think they want to be. We are not showing love to them if we do that, not in the least. When we do our love, our love which is reflected uh, in the love of our Savior, that has grown cold. Right, so now finally comes the good news. In spite of how terrible things are around us, in spite of how awful things are within us, because we know we have sin in us and we're a part of the mess in this world according to our sinful nature, Jesus holds out hope. He says, the one who endures to the end will be saved. But how am I supposed to do that? You might be wondering. I have a hard enough time just trying to make it through from one day to the next. How am I supposed to endure all of this stuff? All of these terrible things that are going on in me and around me. How am I supposed to survive? Well, I hate to tell you, but I agree. It is impossible. It's impossible for you to endure. You can't make it. The worse things get, the harder time you're going to have. Maybe you're going to start listening to some Bible teachings that, that sound good. They're different from what you were used to hearing, but they sound good and you buy into them. And they seem new and improved. Maybe when you, when you look at the chaotic state of this world, you're going to say, wow, does God even care anymore? Now, before you wonder why I'm back on the bad news, instead of the good news, here's what I mean. You cannot endure on your own. That is what is impossible. You can't do it. But the good news is that you don't have to because Jesus endured for you. Note how Jesus closes out this passage. He says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. Gospel. When we hear that word, we are encouraged simply by that word. Gospel. Good news. Good news of a Savior. Good news of a Savior who came to this broken down and falling apart world to do exactly what we call Him. To save. You see, you have not been on your own for quite some time. No matter what the world is throwing at you, you have not been on your own. For me, it's been about 61 and a half years that, that I have not been on my own. Ever since you were baptized, ever since Jesus came to you and, and washed your sins away, He gave you His Holy Spirit. He worked faith in you. He worked trust in Him in you. You have not been on your own. 
Jesus is your Savior. He has saved you from, from all of this turmoil that's around us, from all of the turmoil that's within us. He saves you from death. He saves you from all the evil around us, even the devil himself. And he gave you life. He gave you life now. He gives you life forever in heaven. Yes, Jesus saves you from all evil because of what he did for you. His life, his death, his resurrection, it all adds up to the gospel of the kingdom. So where there is war, well, Jesus gives you peace. He gives you peace between you and God. He gives you peace of heart, peace in your heart. He gives you a, a troubled conscience, or he gives you peace from a troubled conscience. Where there are earthquakes, when the foundation of, of your existence is shaken, Jesus is your solid rock to keep you steady. Where there is famine, Jesus gives you himself, the very bread of life from heaven, to strengthen you through all of these difficult times. Where there are false teachers, Jesus gives you his teaching, his true teaching in his word, in the Bible. And when your love grows cold, when your love for the truth grows cold, Jesus gives you his love, a love that then you reflect to others. So no, all hope is not lost. Talking about Judgment Day, the day when Jesus returns, that actually fills us with hope on that day when the end comes. We don't really think of it as the end because for us, because of what Jesus has done for us, it is the beginning. It's the beginning of our new and blessed life that goes on forever in heaven. And with that in our future, we can endure because we have been saved and we are saved forever. Amen.